Previously on the Enneagram Journey. Okay, it's my stinky foot powder, all right? Ew. It's mine. I have stinky feet, stinky feet that require powder. Well, that's perfect. Here's your stinky foot powder. <laughs> I have that feeling again. I didn't want anybody to, to know about that, and now I feel like I can't even face anyone. Y you know what I feel? Embarrassed? Yes, embarrassed. Oh. Plus, I never got to show everyone today's word. Well, actually, Mr. Seth did. What do you mean, Elmo? Well, Mr. Seth showed everyone today's word. I don't understand. What's today's word? Embarrassed. Embarrassed? Yeah. And I was embarrassed. Yeah. Twice. Uh -huh. Oh, great. I did it. conflict makes me exhausted and there's lots of conflict in the world I mean forget like any conflict of my own and I think a, a lot of us are exhausted from it maybe it's more for nines so I have to mute uh social media and the news sure. for a while so I can just recover my life is like contemplation and action I'm like quiet silence and solitude for a while and then I go back out and act that linen song is an earworm for sure, but at least it's a good one. It's not like uh, when I've got Baby Shark just in my head all the time. Welcome to another episode of the Anagram Journey podcast with the Anagram Godmother, Suzanne Stabile. Today's guests are the hosts of the podcast, Austin Anagram, Anagram 9, Lee Jackson, and 4, Elizabeth Chapin. My name is Joel, and I'll be along for the ride like usual. If you're bringing up your press center, and you feel a little embarrassed, you're probably doing something right. What does peace look like for Lee? Are fours vindictive? And should you take an Enneagram 4 to Disney World? All that and so much more in this live recording of the podcast from Austin, Texas, on the Enneagram Journey Toward Wholeness book and podcast tour. Speaking of the tour, the next two stops are Dallas, June 3rd and 4th, and Denver, July 15th and the 16th. Exciting development on the Dallas front. The location for the teaching on Saturday is right next to my favorite taco place in the whole world, Taco Joint. If you're signing up or are already signed up for Saturday and you want to join me Saturday morning before Suzanne teaches for some breakfast tacos, coffee, and some good old Anagram community conversation, visit lifeinthetrinityministry.com slash tour22 and click on the Taco Joint link letting me know to save you a seat. If you know a good taco place in Denver, be sure and let us know. Because Friday, July 15th, Suzanne will be sitting down with Nadia Bowles-Weber for the live show, and I'll need some comfort for you to digest all of that wisdom, I'm sure. You can get more information on both stops, as well as our upcoming trip to Birmingham, at lifeinthetrinityministry.com slash tour22, T-O-U-R, and the numbers 2-2. And now, Suzanne and the Austin Enneagram. Deciding to do an apprentice program was kind of a weird thing. Three years with people. Was that a good idea, bad idea? Do I have three years to teach anybody? Do I, you know, do I? And these two showed up in my second apprentice class. 
They both live here, but they came separately the first time, and then for the next three years they traveled together. And um, needless to say, uh, Elizabeth is a four on the Enneagram, and Lee is a nine, so they're not exactly the same person. (laughs) And they were very different as students. Um, Teaching them was required different gifts on my part. That was a good way to say that, don't you think? (laughs) Uh, And they became uh, great friends and really good at um, helping each other grow. They were also really good at helping me, oh please, grow in um, different ways. And it is a privilege to have you on our podcast in order to introduce all the listeners to your podcast, which is Austin Enneagram. I wouldn't have thought it likely that you two were going to start a podcast. (laughs) I was thinking about how the challenges for me as a podcaster, for Joel and me as podcasters, and for you two as podcasters are very different because you're both withdrawing numbers. I guarantee the challenges are different between their podcasting relationship and our (laughs) podcasting relationship. Yes, because in ours you're in charge. (laughs) So many reasons. My first question real fast for you is how many apprentice classes did you do? Three total? Oh, no. How many, how many what? Apprentice groups. You said that they were the second one. I can't one. see all your fingers. Three. Three? Yeah. All right. So it seemed like way more. <laughs> and so because when you mentioned the apprentice group, people will be like, okay, sign me up for that. Yeah, no. So to give an explanation, it was a three-year program. You did three. And then because who wants to wait three years to start a new, to be a participant. So then you switched, you and LTM switched to the cohort system mm-hmm. of one year at a time. And that's been going swimmingly. And by the time this podcast airs, uh, the application for 2023 will be up. I just wanted to walk back to that. And before we start talking to podcasting life now, I would love to hear more about that time period. So I didn't know that you didn't know each other until the apprentice group. Well, we did know each other. We just didn't know each other well. Let's, you know, let's hop in the time machine and reminisce on drives to Dallas from Austin and a four and a nine. And what you, you know, so it's the same set setup of four weekends each year, three days a weekend, but for three years. And I, you know, we've never asked anyone about that. We've had other people that went through the apprentice program on, but we didn't talk to them about that. And they're both tethered to the past, and so I figure we can get some good stuff here. I mean, I, I actually, like, I it feels like it, so long ago I don't even remember. I mean, I remember, you know, getting stuff at, to, to eat and snacks and going up there and, like, you know, finding hotel rooms, finding places to eat. Uh, we found a Thai restaurant. We were really Royal we Thai. Were obsessed with one We Thai were obsessed. Yeah. Um, uh, Start with the hedgehog. Start with what? The hedgehog. Oh, my goodness. Well, really? I mean, I just, I had a hedgehog that I regretted. I regret buying a um, 
an uh, animal that like shouldn't be in my house basically as a pet for my child but I thought it felt like a good idea at the time anyway it ended up not being a good pet for lots of reasons like his eyes bulged out of the sockets on Christmas morning and things like that but um, there is a hedgehog what do you call it rescue program in Dallas Texas and so we met them in a parking lot and we had to be like um, you got they, a hedgehog from them, or they took no, you No, I had a hedgehog, and I was okay. relinquishing, like, bad mother, bad mother to hedgehog, giving it up and telling them, you know, all the reasons why I couldn't do it. And it was very intense experience in the parking lot. Is the new Sonic movie, like, really triggering you lately, seeing commercials for that and stuff? So I don't even know what oh, you're talking about. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> what was the point? So you said tell the hedgehog. Well, How does that relate to anything yeah, besides being great? How does it relate? Poor, poor people listening to this. Well, the reason that it's important is because when the apprentice program's going on, it's kind of intense. And Elizabeth is kind of intense. And as fours are. And she has an extra dose. I don't know why. I don't know why. I mean, why. do you think se- sexual fours are more intense? Absolutely. Than, yeah. Because yeah. I, yeah. I think that it took me a long time to figure out that when I met fours that were not intense. Yeah. I, I kind of thought they weren't fours, but they were. They were just probably self-preserving. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the hedgehog is important because you were intense about that, too. So yeah. there was an intensity about, I, I, like, I have to leave and go outside in a little while because I need to check on the hedgehog, but the people are coming to get the hedgehog, and I, I, I need to hand it off, and I'd like to really hand it off well. Yeah, and I, was I felt thinking, guilty. I felt guilty. And so were you on the ride that had the hedgehog? Yep. Yep. It was my first <laughs> Was it your first time? <laughs> it was my first hedgehog experience. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think, I think we but, need to change the subject. Um, I'm feeling uncomfortable. No, no, no. Don't be uncomfortable because I have a real important point to make. Okay, okay. Yeah. And, and the point is that as a four and a nine and a two, I can accommodate all the feelings for the hedgehog and the process and the handover. I can't imagine a nine riding on the trip with the emotions of I'm going to hand over the hedgehog, other than kind of merging with, oh, or, or, you know, whatever gifts you use. And I think that reality of a window into each other and into the room you had for each other for that experience made room for you to have space for each other for the things that were to come. So I've always seen the hedgehog as a gift. Yeah. Well, and you, and you ask about us. So Elizabeth and I knew each other through church, and we were in the same the symposium Sunday school class, which we have some symposiumites here. But um, I just, because I, of my energy and how I experienced Elizabeth, mainly for my number, I just thought she didn't even notice me. And I'm kind of quiet, and I just... I don't know. I, it didn't occur to me, which happens to me a lot as a nine, right, that we would ride together, that that would be presumptuous. Silly, since we go to the same church, we're in the same Sunday school class, and um, are going to start this three-year program. Um, 
I don't know. I just thought, oh, that won't happen. We're, we're too different, or um, it just it did not occur to me that that would happen. And so it was such a gift. Um, we did not go the first time together. And I don't, I don't know if we'd at the first apprentice group, if you just said, hey, shouldn't we, shouldn't we just ride together? And um, that just, as Elizabeth, when you're in a van or in a car for three hours, and then you're looking for a hotel room. Um, what a, it was, what a gift, what a gift. We really became fast friends. And my point is that it's not a likely friendship, but the Enneagram paves the way for that between any two numbers. Because people keep asking me, and I'm sure they ask you, what number should I be best friends with? What number should I date? What number should I marry? And the answer always from me is just somebody who's healthy. Yeah, exactly. Just find somebody who's healthy, and then you can make the relationship work. And the healthier you got, the closer you got. And I think she was always very accommodating. Like, I never felt like she was having to make... I I never felt like she was having trouble with my personality or my intensity ever. I never felt like it was a problem. So I'm so boundaried that her perceived, at least for me, lack of boundary in lots of ways. Not in a, <laughs> not in a splooshy way, like you would talk about it, not in an unhealthy way. But I am really drawn to that and want to learn. That energy is something that I am very awkward about. And so, you know, everything from the hedgehog on, you know, mm-hmm. I'm kind of taking that in and am grateful for that part of her. Now, sometimes it's it's hard to communicate or we are coming from different spaces, but that piece of who Elizabeth is, which is probably more your sexual energy than your foreignness, perhaps, I would guess. We're, so I'm so boundaried and preserved. And I, <laughs> that, and I feel like you've taught me a lot mm-hmm. about boundaries. Yeah. I mean, you've really taught me a lot about thinking about where I put my energy and why. That's been super helpful. So. So the reason the hedgehog is important to me is because it's really helpful to build a friendship that's just budding or a relationship that's new when the focus is on something else. And that runs across all numbers and in all the ways. And I think you would have had a much harder time relaxing into your friendship without that hedgehog because you can't just talk about Enneagram teaching and who's in the cohort and all the all the all the time you just can't we listened to lots of podcasts how many years ago was that this been a bit it was I think on being was the only podcast that what's that on On being being was like it might have been called speaking of faith back then yeah I think it was Mm -hmm. yeah how long ago was it have zero idea. Don't know. Ten years? I don't know. Ten. Do you know? No. All right. That's all good. I'm going to say ten. Ten, ten years, years ago. At least. I think at least. So, man, y'all didn't get the opportunity to listen to the Enneagram journey at that time. So, you said that uh, sexual, and you agreed, sexual fours are just much more intense. Is that across the board true for that subtype for every number? Yes. Well, how about the whole, like, so it's fascinating to me that sexual nines are the sweetest nines and the most mergy. 
And so I think that when you are reading that from outside, you don't look at that person, that sexual nine, and say, oh, they're so intense. I mean, maybe their spouse would, but everybody else is going to think they're a sweetie pie, you know? So that's interesting to me. I feel like there was one other one that was funky. What did we do recently? Anyway, that surprised me. So the reason I said a different answer is because I think they are um, far more vulnerable with whoever they choose to be vulnerable with than other nines. It's interesting because Jenny, our daughter Jenny is a nine, and she's married to a six, and we've had a lot of conversations in our family about the fact that Joe merges with me, Billy, our Oldest daughter, Joey's husband, is also a nine, and he merges with Joey, who's an eight. Joe tends to merge with me because he doesn't like conflict, but Jenny merges with Corey, and she thinks it's because she's a sexual nine. Jenny merges with who? Corey. Oh, yeah. It's like she doesn't, like, that's, that's, that's it. And she thinks that she merges with authority, and Joe doesn't merge with me on big issues, and Billy doesn't merge with Joey on big issues. And as a sexual nine, Jenny merges with Corey on all issues. Do we know the subtype of the three nines in our family? Are they at, at the current moment? Jenny's sexual. Giuseppe is social. And Billy is, I don't know. Do you know? I would guess social. Okay. He could be self-preserving. I wasn't sure if that would like show up differently in all our family get-togethers of here's three nines, but they're three different dominant subtypes and yeah. so on. Yeah. Whenever people at, in our small groups or anything at the Micah Center ask me a question about subtypes, I always tell them, I was like, I have no clue. Um, Whitney came home from her. She did the Enneagram cohort, and she came home from the weekend on Thursday night and then Friday night and Saturday that y'all did subtypes, like talking to me about it. And then she said, you know, what, what subtype do you think you are? I was like, listen, my boat is full in caring about this conversation because I love you and have feelings for you and bringing up my feelings right now to stay present moment <laughs> oriented to right now and bringing up feelings. I've got, I have no clue what my subtypes are and would get really bogged down in that. Whenever people start talking about subtypes, I always get like, ooh, this is... I've, I've always been the same way. I've always been kind of... And I think sort of you trained me to feel that way. And I'm sort of grateful. I mean, I'm super grateful to have been trained by you to be focused on stance work, I have to say, because I think it always comes back to that. And I feel like everything else can be avoidant, you know? Subtype? Self-preserving. <laughs> She said quietly. <laughs> Sorry. Self-preserver. Yeah, self, I'm a self-preserver. Yeah. Okay, well, since we're talking about subtypes for a minute, um, let me just say that um, one of my big questions to my last cohort, uh, they're going to come back, in fact, after doing some research for the, some months um, and meet with me again because the question is, did your subtype change during COVID? And um, I, n- not many people teach subtypes well, and not many people teach that subtypes change. You can't change your subtype, but it happens to you. 
And the only reason I started exploring that is because I was teaching at First Baptist in Austin, and our girls were with us. And um, it's kind of this setup, except there are big glass doors back there. And, and the fellowship hall is like this without pews and then big glass doors. And Joey starts walking from the back, and she walks all the way up, and she walks up onto the dais, and she says, um, she starts closing my notes, and she says, Dad's had a heart attack, and we're leaving right now. And I came to Austin that weekend to teach as a social two, and by the time I got to the hospital, I was a sexual two. And it caused so much discomfort in our relationship after Joe got out of the hospital and was fine and all that, that we went to therapy for it because I was driving him crazy. And it was a change, a significant change in our relationship. And I'm operating with the theory that subtypes change during COVID. And we'll see. What can y'all talk to that some? Like what? So we we were supposed to come. I was in Austin. I was here, March of 2020. Y'all had not gotten gotten in the car to come yet. I got to send out the email, probably to some of you. That yeah, people are raising their hand. That said, man, I'm so sorry because you got an email like daily that week. They're like, it's happening. I'll see you there. I'll be in Austin. We're hanging out no matter what. Tattoo, whatever it is that I say in, in emails. <laughs> then, like Friday morning, I was like, I, I don't know how to say this, but uh, yeah, it's not happening now. And like, we were the last event in the United States to be canceled. They had canceled the NBA, they had canceled the NCAA tournament. Those are my only reference points because of my love for basketball. But I was like, man, if they can cancel that, I feel like uh, y'all have made the right decision. So I still had a great weekend in this desert town of Austin. My, like, we still went out and saw a zoo, uh, and anyway, good time for old Joel. And uh, how long has your podcast been going now? Because it, it feels like this is... It's been going, how long have we been doing it? I don't know. I have zero idea. This is what happens when you ask withdrawing numbers a question about time. I, I'm about to say, I'll, I'll just pull up uh, your first podcast. I can get that information in a moment. Oh, However, yeah. what uh, for y'all, what between when we think about all the things. I mean, so you're exploring the idea that we, your subtype we, can change. One of the first things that happened was we had a bunch of sixes come over to my house and, and talk about it and like immediately. And very interesting that they all came, like they all came, they were not stressed about it. They were not freaked out about coming. Like they came and they were on top of it. And I love that. Um, I mean, it, it, it shifted things for a while, and then obviously we had to, like, do Zooms, and we did some number nights outside and on blankets, and we pivoted, and it was fine. But um, I, was, I had a sh- an art show, and I was supposed to go to Italy for a residency, and all that got canceled, but the show didn't get canceled, and it was good ways out. So I just, like, I just extra focused. I mean, I feel like I was sexual before, and I was sexual now. Like, I, I doubled down on sexual. <laughs> to, to answer that question, your first podcast looks like feel. released on December 25th of 2019. Okay. So Christmas Day for podcast release. I like it. Nice. Interesting move. Uh, what about, like, stress and security? Because some people have shared that, you know, when that came, that they went one way or the other of 
if they were in a very, very, if things were super stressful, that it kind of lightened the load and their mentality and demeanor changed kind of a little bit more to their core number or excess potentially in that core number. Uh, I know for me, I think that's kind of the route that I went with, which was great for our family because we had kids and it's like, well, guess what? And we had tents in the backyard and, you know, no one's worked. Like it was, it was a good time to have a seven for a dad. Any time is a good time, I think. There are, uh, um, there will be support groups, adult children of Anagram 7s that will say differently at some point. I mean, I work in healthcare, you know, so I manage a team of people. So going back to the, the first part of that, I had, um, am in a job where I, I've always kind of know what I'm doing and feel like I make good decisions and um, it's a very gut space for me where I can really tap in and look like a three at work, right? Like I'm, no one guesses I'm an introvert. So I, the first few months of that, we, I didn't stay home, we were going in, but I was making decisions for a lot of people without a lot of knowledge. And so I had a lot of anxiety and a lot of anxiety coming at me. And Elizabeth and I have talked about this a little bit. You know, she's noticed that I have more anxiety. I was not anxious about myself, but I felt and still do like it just will creep up. Um, I will feel I feel a lot of responsibility for making sure others are okay. When you were going to the hospital every day and seeing what was happening and the disconnect oftentimes that um, it, it, was, it was very strange for me to have the amount of anxiety. Like I, would, I might see you and be safe and in your backyard and then I'd come home and think, why did I do that? so selfish I should have stayed home and like for 10 days I would be worried about you right even though I'm probably one of the safer or safest the hospital ended up being one of the safer places to be I feel like into the time but I that that is something new in me that I I still struggle with it'll just kind of come up and I mean, of course, I'm single. I was by myself. I have very specific memories of riding my bicycle to Elizabeth and Nathaniel's on a beautiful spring day around this time of year and having to get off my bicycle a couple times to answer calls from my people, you know, who are panicking and I was in a room or I was in this space and we didn't know how do I get a test. All of that on my bike beautiful day coming up to her house and the poppies in the backyard and that's when we weren't even touching like the gate or her dog and but sitting knowing that I needed to be near people that I loved um, but not even know if that was okay Mm -hmm. so um, it's interesting how that is it is in my body in a different way and I think for a lot, lot it'll be interesting to see what that anxiety looks like um, as we move into the, this space, right? But I still have it. I still kind of will have this m- moment of panic. It probably happened tonight. Like, why did I hug Suzanne? I should have worn a mask. You know, it'll just pop up in me, even even if I know logically different now. So it, that's been a, a pretty different thing for me. I'm usually chill about 
such things and am confident in knowing um, what I'm up to in those spaces. So I really want to talk about that with you for a minute because um, Joe's also an introverted nine who looks like a three at work. But after a point, and he was head of congregational care at the time at a very large church when he could no longer go to the hospital, then what he, he was doing congregational care from his office in our house. And the weight, all the threeness went away, replaced by sixness, not because of fear of COVID, because we were home and he couldn't get in the hospitals. He was at the church two days a week, but everybody was masked. It wasn't bad. The anxiety was about how to minister to people who he was talking to on the phone, who were having just unspeakable experiences. And the day that he just couldn't hold it all anymore, he walked out of his office and tears were just rolling down his cheeks and he said, there is a 55-year-old man sitting in the grass at Presbyterian Hospital with his back against the wall because that's as close as he can get to his 80-year-old mother who's dying. And there is no, here's how you handle that. Here's what you do with that. Here's, and if you're a nine or if you have done some good anti-ram work and you know about nines, then you know that actually sloth or the sin of nines is about being unaffected by life. And so what that leads me into in relationship to the two of you and to nines is what happens when there is no protection from being affected. And I think that's what you talked about. Then you just do what you have to do, but then you rethink everything. You know, and I I think probably a lot of my own work to do in my way of coping is I'm going to protect everybody else, right? That was my job at work. That so that's where the anxiety leads me. And so I I think as we kind of move into this space, my work is to ask how did how does this impact me? Because I've I've spent the last two years and I was in an administrative role. So even though I'm a chaplain, I was not at the bedside as much, right? Like I was hearing the stories, I was trying to equip people, just had a tremendous team. And, you know, I I like the rest of the world. We all experience this. And so observing myself in my anxiety of wanting to control and keep everybody safe, right? That's a, I'm, I am aware of people's comfort and all of that good stuff naturally, but it, I, the heightened sense that I, um, Jenny Eversole, I was there for Christmas and I had this freak out moment one night. I'm like, I think I probably gave everybody COVID. I shouldn't have come here. It was so ridiculous. And she said, my God, you are, you have a lot of control. You know, like, what, what are you up to? Wow. Um, but it's, it's so illogical on some level, but that's how I've dealt. You know, that's how I've, that was my role, right? At work, to try, to try. And the thought that I would contribute to more pain. Um, so it, 
it, woo, the boundary stuff and the anxiety. Um, it'll be interesting to unpack that now that there might be a little space. If we, you know, people always want to know on how, what are opposite Enneagram numbers? Well, there's not an answer to that because it depends on what you're talking about. But if you're talking about being affected by life in normal times, they are at opposite ends of the spectrum. Elizabeth is affected by everything. And Lee is trying to be unaffected by most things. What is your reaction then to all the things that she said about the pandemic and the impact that it's having on her or had on, on you? Wow. Not your reaction to her words, yeah. your reaction to the time period. I mean, I, I think uh, I... I enjoyed it, to tell you the truth. Like it, um, I mean, I, I, I know I'm supposed to feel guilty about that, but I don't um, really. I mean, I don't want anyone to suffer, but I really enjoyed being lost in my work, and my kids were home, and uh, the earth was greening up, and and bursting forth because we were letting it alone and um, you could see how resilient the nature is and um, I could just um, be with the people I loved and take baths and read books and paint paintings and I, I loved it. I loved it. I kind of miss it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's a great, like, that is the answer to I talk mean, about what you were that is the answer. It is completely different, and I don't feel guilty at all. I don't. Again, my answer is similar. Yeah. We had an awesome time. And see, that's cool because you're seven. A lot of people might think that sevens would st struggle with that, but you just found really wonderful ways to be with your little children, oh, yeah. adventurous things to do in the backyard. And I would say you living into your painting and all the things you just described, I got to, you know, as the pandemic were on, I moved from sitting, <laughs> sitting across the yard 15 feet to sitting at the long end of the table. Like there was a space for me there, even in my anxiety, even if I had some anxiety when I got home, that you're, that was part of your gift that you made a space and you kept making a space, and you welcomed people in the yard, and we figured out ways. I mean, I feel like that was you, and you had space to do that. So you weren't there alone, right? You invited others in, which was nice. It was good. I would, I, the only thing I want to add to that is that I, I think the pandemic has to have been easier for people who know themselves and who have done some good personal work as opposed to people who don't have tools yet to deal with change and expectations. And, you know, it, it's so easy to get judgmental. I, I fall into it over and over and over. And it, it, the question I have to ask myself is, I wonder how many tools they have to do life differently. Like we have the Enneagram and we uh, are all readers and we have friendships that call us to be better and, you know, all that, all that stuff. Do you think also, this is a leading question, I don't like leading questions, or I've heard you when you're talking about you and the Reverend, that y'all both as a two and a nine are other referenced. And then we talk about ones, twos, and sixes as dependent numbers and the reference point being outside of themselves. 
was the pandemic much harder than for those four numbers than say for us who are in independent number and hey sweet i can go into myself and all my things and really embrace this time and you said anxiety like 30 times in the last two minutes. Well, and it's because I've, it's not my norm. It's not my, it's just not. Um, and, and I'm an introvert. And so I will tell you that besides the traffic being really nice, I mean, making left turns like a boss on Lamar, I was not, I was jealous, you know, that I, I, I didn't stop, right? I didn't um, stop going in. I mean, I got to introvert. By, by myself and I didn't have to say why I couldn't go places or make up stories about why I didn't want to go here or there because I couldn't so that was nice but like I'm still the person who if I get to work from home I don't brush my teeth I like hardcore do COVID work from home stuff to this day like I'm like gonna wear Radius pajama bottoms. I have one sweater that I put on and I want to announce to the whole zoom meeting that I have like ratty pants on and a sweater and I haven't brushed my teeth. It's all very awkward because I I didn't get that. <laughs> I had to keep going in. So I get real excited um, when that happens. I don't know why I was telling you that story. Just <laughs> I don't brush my teeth when I work from home. Because I drink coffee. I'm drinking coffee until I need to brush my teeth. Feels like a lot of anxiety and a lot of not teeth brushing to me. (laughs) I forgot about the absence of traffic. I remember the first, like, couple weeks going down 75 in Dallas. And I didn't do it. But y'all remember that opening scene from Roadhouse where the villain is just swerving both sides of the road, listening to his music? Like, that is what I felt like felt like doing and wish I had done it. Yeah. Yeah, Oh, there was no one there. So, um, I think they're coming out with a roadhouse too, by the way, just so excited. I've been waiting and waiting. Clearly no, clearly we won't have Patrick Swayze in it, but right. If we go see the hedgehog movie, we can go see roadhouse too. Do you think I want to talk about your experience of podcasting a bit? Sometimes I think we uh, tend to over-identify with numbers and the experience that numbers have. And I, uh, I, I don't paint. I do read. I'm tired of cooking. And I, too, feel guilty because I loved the time. Because after a lot of time of Joe being very busy at the church and gone a lot, I had him at home. And I think a lot of things go into whether or not it was a good or not good experience for you in terms of uh, being quarantined and in terms of COVID and in terms of your loss and in terms of what happened with your job and whether or not you had income and all, all of those things. And uh, I was, I totally loved having Joe to myself after being so generous in sharing him for a time. A little generous, a little bitchy, but I tried. I did really try to be good. And so I, I, I just always want to put on the table that not everything that everybody says fits. And 
And if you haven't done a lot of Enneagram work, we all have done a lot of Enneagram work. And that, too, is a different setting for the table and a difference in how you hear things. So don't, you, you don't have to take on something that doesn't fit. And you don't have to walk away saying, I, I'm with Elizabeth. I, I feel kind of guilty because I loved it. Or some people would walk away feeling guilty because they didn't love it. You know, guilt is just out there waiting for all of us to grab it. I'm going to ask you this question on the spot. I'm sorry. Can you think of one thing that you learned on your podcast while you were talking to somebody else that just, you went, what? I was totally wrong about that or, wow, I didn't know that or I... I mean, I think this, the whole journey of six has been huge for me. Um, I think it's interesting that it was my least favorite number pre-COVID pre-getting to know some sixes really well, and now understanding how brave they are, that they're the most afraid, but yet they continue showing up every day, and the strength and the bravery that that um, requires is so, it's just shifted everything for me. Um, So I I love that shift. I I loved when you and Russ were doing, I love the whole idealism triad and I love you and Russ teaching together. That doesn't, that's not about our podcast, but that is like, we've been studying Naranjo together and that kind of blows my mind. Like I always love the way you teach from the shadow and how you've always said that we learn from our shadow. It's really hard to like walk out of a workshop where you learned who you are because of all the awesome things you do. It's you learn because of all the, the sticky, icky things. And I agree. And I feel like Naranjo goes hard in that way. Like he really goes hard in the shadow. He just nails you to the wall, every number and, and uses such maybe, you could say outdated, but beautiful language. I love his language. My five husband has really been brought into the Enneagram more intensely because he loves Naranjo's language. Um, And reading what he has to say about fours being the most vindictive number has kind of blown my mind and how vindictive we are. Um, Super powerful. Um, Will you talk some about fours and being vindictive vindictive that was that was new and yeah I mean I I know you know and I think um also that sexual fours are the angriest number on the Enneagram somebody said maybe Naranjo I don't know but um so I'm just having to sit in this like I'm angry and I'm vindictive you know which is tough you know but true it's true and I think it's interesting to think about envy as um is where that vindictive nature comes from. So all the ways in which you're feeling loss or not enough, or you're seeing all the things that are missing, starts to add up to this like irritability, which then adds up to vindictive. Because like I think with seeing what others have, or even a perception of what others have that you think you don't have, after a while that. Um, it makes you angry. You're angry at all the things you think everyone else has that you don't have. And that's so 
gross. It's so embarrassing. But it's so helpful to know. Like, the only way out of it is to really see it, right? And understand it and know that that's what you're up to. And, you know, I just put put notes on my door, like, pay attention to what is working. What is working today? Follow what is working. Follow what is flowing. I just have to remind myself constantly because I always want to follow what's not working. I always want to pay attention to who doesn't love me. And so um, the only way out of that is to know that that's what you're doing, that's what you're up to, and stop. Stop it. And I would just add to that in terms of teaching the two of you, which was a privilege, by the way. Um, Elizabeth, when I said something about fours that she didn't like, would just get mad at me. Like from the back row, she would just see. She was like, I know some things about vindictive fours. Hang on one second. <laughs> let, me, let me speak into that for a minute. <laughs> she would just get mad at me. And when I said things that Lee didn't like, and I wouldn't have known how to read it except that I'm married to the reverend, but she would just shut me out. So like I would kind of try to get in her face to see. She would just pin down, head down, pin moving but not writing words, just ignoring me, period, ignoring me, which is kind of breathtaking to have those two perspectives, front row, often, back row, often. So here's the deal that I'm trying to make a point about. You have something to learn from every number, and you will never learn it all. I know a lot about the Enneagram. I'm pretty good at teaching, and I will never be able to say about their numbers or any of yours something about you that if you know it, you can't say better than I can. Because there's nuance involved. There's a lot of nuance in what you've both shared that... I don't know to share. So the first question I'm going to ask Joe when we get in the car is, did you feel all that in your gut? Did you, like, were you feeling all that? Every time you talked about it, you did this. Like, it's like it was a bodily experience for you. And gut people, Richard Rohr says, are actually, eights, nines, and ones, gut people, are actually the most feeling people. Not Not us in the feeling triad. Because they take in everything bodily first. So I didn't know to talk to him about that until now. And you, because you do your work consistently, you are very honest about the complexity of being a four. And it's because you didn't give up. Most fours have given up. And they say, nobody gets me. And so I'm not going to try to explain to you how I feel. You wouldn't get it anyway. So, like, I'm not going to bother with that. This one just keeps explaining it to you until you get it. Or I just keep explaining it to myself. Some of it is just selfish. I just want to function, you know? I mean, like, you you said to Russ and that breaking whatever it is, breaking... Breaking the cycle. Yeah. You said something about how fours want to be seen mm-hmm. and that there's a very a very thin line between there is a fine line between being seen and being ignored or estranged yeah. because of the way you go about being seen that Suzanne Stabile 
is amazing. That is the crux of it right there. And so I want to, um, I'm not saying I'm good at it, but I want to take responsibility for the ways I'm being seen because I want to not be estranged. I mean, that's on me. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Sure. And you've wanted that your entire life. Yeah. All right, I'm like chomping at the bit here. Yeah. Building on all, a lot of things that you just said. I've got a son who I'm pretty sure is a four. Yeah, who knows? But pretty sure is a four. And one example, maybe the most. I probably know, and I think he is. <laughs> one of the most recent examples that really supports this, when he took the four kids to, the three older kids to Disney World, I said, I didn't, I was like, that sounds like the worst five days of my life. I don't want to do that. And Josie's three, Josie and I will stay here and we'll have a great time and y'all go. And I was absolutely right. But uh, night one, they're back, we're at the dinner table. I've already asked the other girls uh, before taking them to their mom's house, you know, about the weekend and the trip. And so I asked him, I say, what, uh, you know, what was your favorite part? And then he proceeded to tell me that you can't, you couldn't shake hands with the characters and all these Star Wars people weren't there. And all this stuff that didn't happen wasn't there. When I asked, like, what was your favorite part of this trip that his mom did all this stuff for? So my question to you is, is there anything you can do to help me? Because my response to that behavior is to ignore and estrange. Like, I, that response yeah, to your mom taking you on this trip, yeah, for yeah. you to come back with that response. And you're seven, so you, you really want... That's like such an annoying response to you, right? Yeah, and, and I know... it feels selfish, probably. The good thing that I did was I didn't lose it because we, you know, okay, mm-hmm. we think he's a four. Mm-hmm. I know that this is, you know, he's not trying to do this. Mm-hmm. However, I'm sure whatever my response was, was not the response, it was a response that creates estrangement. Yeah, no, I mean, I remember when I was younger and I would approach them when I was just more immature and I would, like, write a letter to my mom, who's a seven, about, like, some experience that had happened that was negative. And she would recreate the scene and everything I could have done differently to make that an amazing experience for me and how it was selfish that I didn't see it that way. And here are all the things you could have done to realize... Um, how you could have been of service to everybody and how you could have been aware of everybody else and made that a more positive experience. And the, and the, and the thing is, is that at the time I wanted, I, I, I hated that response and she's right. You know what I mean? So like, I don't, I don't know how, cause you only get there when you can get there. Like I couldn't hear my mother at that time and I didn't like that response from her. I mean, I just think, I think whenever there's anxiety in a four, it feels comfortable to find all the things that were wrong because, like, there's some weird connection with that special thing, which I hate, the whole special thing. Because I think there's something about, like, you're in an experience and then you feel, you feel uncomfortable, you know? Like, I feel uncomfortable walking in here, right? I feel uncomfortable and I'm aware that I'm uncomfortable. And it's so much easier to just start judging stuff because and you think it make it it feels like off gassing that discomfort, you know. And so if you can just kind of catch yourself doing that and be like, why, why are you, why are you doing that? You feel uncomfortable. Just be uncomfortable. Just be uncomfortable. Because with your off gassing, your discomfort just doesn't a it doesn't make you special, and b it just makes everybody else uncomfortable. <laughs> so I don't, I don't, but I don't know how you talk, talk to a child about that. Do you, Suzanne? Do you? 
let me talk about what I think the problem is between your mom as a seven and you and Joel as a seven and his son. And that is that the, both as children, it's very difficult to tell fours and sevens apart. Except examples like this. <laughs> it, except that, and the reason it's difficult to tell them apart is because they're both focused on what's missing and they both want more. But the disconnect is that what they think is missing is opposite for them. And the, the other disconnect is that what it would take to appease them is, or to make them happy is opposite. And so it is, um, it, it's, it, it's like you miss, what is it, ships passing in the night or whatever it is. You're having the same feeling and you describe it completely differently. So your feeling is the boat is full or the experience is full. You've gotten to do all these things. And so it's so great because of how you see. And your experience is this part was missing because of how you see. And there's no marrying those two. They each come to a hard stop in the middle. And so it's a disconnect rather than a connect. And I think that the A solution to that, which is you have time still, is to ask questions rather than make statements. And we tend, when we experience the opposite in other people, to make statements and we don't ask questions. That's a good answer for any situation probably, right? Yeah, yeah. But it's real hard when you feel the same way about the same experience from opposite ways of seeing. It's very tricky. It's just very tricky. It's going to be really hard. That is your rundown of the trip to, that, is it called the happiest place on earth? <laughs> and that's what you brought back was that. But all right. But if, you know, if you think about the way you describe a four, like when you go do your know your number and everything that we like we distrust cheerfulness overt cheerfulness like think like disney world is like the last place you should take a four (laughs) so maybe you just don't take a four to disney world okay and so the seven didn't want to go sort of kidding but the seven didn't want to go and the four didn't want to go now that's fascinating but it's yeah, fascinating. I'm, I'm curious as to why he, you, it seems like you'd want to go, like, immediately. That is. Says why th- nuance th- matters. Three days. Uh, so Whitney is a one and, okay, one and seven space. Well, but her. Trapped. You feel unfree. It's, it's scheduled. It, her stuff is scheduled spontaneity. Like, we've got <laughs> everything lined up for the next few days. You know, when we're in Colorado. She'll be talking about, hey, on Wednesday, do you want to do this? I was like, we'll find out Wednesday morning if we want to do that. Like, I don't know. And Got it. Got yeah. So, so that. spontaneity we cannot lose. Like, that is a sweet line. Man, it's, it's a fact, too. So <laughs> you've got that, first of all, of the whole thing mapped out. And then I love my children. But rides and, like, four days of those characters. I don't know. I was about to say Snoopy. Is he, that's not even a character of this. So that's a lot of Pluto. Yeah. A lot of things. I was like, no. And then there's no like, well, maybe we'll catch an Orlando magic game. Mm -mm, That's not on the deck. That's, that's not in the scheduled spontaneity. 
So, and you talk about like sevens being dutiful, showing up for stuff. That's for that's a one-off thing. That's for an evening. Like, okay, y'all show up and we'll watch the Disney movie. But four days of Disney, that's they would not have enjoyed me being there. Like, because I'm like, hey, this is great. So, are y'all uh, connecting the seven one four connection here? That one goes. So Whitney. Uh, goes to Joel's space in security and to Elizabeth's in stress. Can you imagine what it's like to be a one and have the two lines that you deal with being the opposite of one another? It has got to be a very dis-something experience to kind of be doing life as a one and scheduling spontaneity and getting things done and then be oh oh the schedule didn't work well it never works well i'm a terrible person like it's i think a lot of moves on the enneagram are very helpful i think that back and forth from one to seven and one to four is very tricky this is a perfect example of that also because she, as a one, did such a great job of handling everything in preparation for this trip of flights are nailed down, tickets nailed down, all the things. Um, my in-laws went with them. Again, another great reason for me, I love my in-laws, but for me to be able to not go, it's like, all right, three adults and three kids. It's not like I'm just leaving that. One of the gifts that we gave my mother-in-law for Christmas I made shirts with a picture of her from like 40 years ago on them and we wore them Christmas day. And then my father-in-law just absolutely loved it. So we did the same thing for him for his birthday and his birthday was while they were there and all the shirts came in and all this. And she's jacked and very seven space. We're buying a house right now. She knows what I'm doing and she's called three times since I've been on the stage and it's just cause she's so excited and pumped and in that seven space. And so I'm sorry for all my sevenness all the time because I'm like, you've got to be cool about this. <laughs> like, uh, but then there was a hiccup with getting our oldest to be able to go. And it was that full other swing to, to that four area of, you know, I work, I, always, I work so hard and then there's this and this kind of always, this always happens and all of that until it's back on they're there in Orlando and happy again. And so that, it is disorienting, I think was what the dis you were looking for. That is for. the word I'm looking for. I can't imagine those being so, the two things that I. And for the rest of us, it's keeping up with that in a loving way. So for me to, I'm not allowed to reframe when she's in seven, one or four. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> and so it's like, how do I respond to this? Because super bummed about well, what do I say to that? And very excited to go. And I'm not going, I'm happy for you. And then all the work that I'm doing to get there, I'm like, you're doing a great job. It's just. Elizabeth talked about stances and I, you know, I, that's, I think that's where it all is. Like all the other stuff is decoration. And if you can't tell, Joel's really working on bringing up feelings. And that's what it looks like. This is a safe space to talk about how hard it is to bring up feelings. I thought that's, this is group therapy. Um, okay, somebody surprised you on your podcast or something, you, an experience you had where you thought, wow, I didn't see that coming. You know, this didn't actually make it on our podcast, but I, the, 
I have the most fun just hearing people's stories, and I'm I'm never overly excited. I'm not. I'm like the podcast dragging my feet person, and every time we we do it, I'm like, that was so awesome. I love talking to people. I love hearing their stories. Like I'm always energized and ready to go afterwards. Um, but we had an evening. Oh, I guess this summer it was when we were still or maybe last, it was last summer. And we were gonna do a five number night. So talk about fives and Elizabeth's husband, Nathaniel is a five. And I don't know if we were preparing for it. It was, it was not on a podcast. Gosh, I wish we would have recorded it. But he had all of these notes and just sat down after dinner one night and read. It was amazing. He just downloaded all of this really, I thought, very vulnerable, good work. And one of the things that stuck with me that um, he talked about and he's unpacked a few times since is just his, he used the word embarrassed, but just kind of his general kind of embarrassment of being and how hard that is and um, just that the tenderness. And for me, every time someone shares something like that that helps me understand them a little better. Um, I feel, I've always felt tender towards Nathaniel. And, and that's actually, I share a lot of tendencies with the five, right? As an introvert, um, I'm not a five, but I have that same kind of feeling in me that I just feel a little awkward and, and just embarrassed. And to try that on because Nathaniel is doing his work and journaled about it and wrote this list out to share with us. And it was just the three of us in the living room that night. I feel like that happens again and again. And I think the Enneagram um, just makes it easier to share those stories. And I don't, I don't take that to mean that every five feels that kind of same awkwardness or embarrassment, but I bet that's an on-ramp to them yep. if they talk about it. And where, where do I sense that and how, how does that impact how I live life? And why doing is harder or mm-hmm. what, what, that, what that is like and how does that hold me back and when can I be aware of that? And I, 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 I love hearing those stories and in the context of the Enneagram. I think it's so delightful. And I, I, I think that like maybe in every number when we're really being vulnerable and tender, it, it's very embarrassing, right? And I think what we tend to do is when we see someone doing that, trying that on, when I see Nathaniel being kind of embarrassing because he is trying to open this up, I have to really, like, I've realized all the ways in which I want to stop that because I'm feeling embarrassed Mm -hmm. or as a woman um, wanting to, like, have my cake and eat it too. Like, I want him to be strong and manly and not be embarrassing and have all this stuff together and do all these things that I want him to do and be emotional well, guess what? I can't, like, he's can't, I, he can't get there unless he embarrasses me for a while. 
I have to allow him to be embarrassing. That might not be the best way to talk about it, but, you know, I think, I don't know. I think it's true. I think it's like, it's part of my work as, um, also I think with like being, being a feminist, sometimes I, it's easy to forget that that's what I need to do, that I need to sit and allow all of that awkwardness to come forward to, in, you know, towards me and that that is being a feminist basically because I'm allowing him to rise up into that and that's where his actual strength comes from. Um, and that's just been, you know, a dance. It's just been mm. awkward sometimes, but beautiful. I would say the other thing that I've really has been driven home for me as we've continued to do the podcast and listen to people's stories and be curious that there's a lot about the Enneagram out there right now. There's so much. And so I, we've had conversations. I don't know if I've felt this way more than Elizabeth, but I think, well, what are we adding to this? Are we just adding to more um, kind of the caricature or the memes or those sorts of things, and which actually make me so uncomfortable. It, like I don't want to contribute to more of that um, space where you kind of take the test, you know your stuff, and this is what I am. I'm a nine wing, blah, blah, blah. You know, people give their kind of salad of who they are Enneagram wise. And I, I think when you're cu- curious and you kind of take the complexity of people's stories, of um, experiences, all of this layer of who people are, and you can hold it with the lens of the Enneagram, then you get these nuggets of truth that are, um, that impact how I can observe myself and how I experience folks around me. I just think people's stories and staying, letting them, not making them fit necessarily in the caricature, but letting them share what what life is like and then you have the lens and the kind of the map of the Enneagram to interpret it a little bit which I think is so helpful such a gift we're going to lose this renaissance of the Enneagram Mm. that preceded trendy Enneagram if we don't hold fast to it's so much more than that so you know, I'm teaching here tomorrow, and I'm promoting my new book, and nothing I'm going to talk about is in my new book. You know, I'm not coming here to tell you what's in the book. I'm here to teach you something that's not in the book. There's nothing fast about the Enneagram. You don't know yourself quickly. You don't know how to bring up your repressed center quickly. You don't know how to manage your dominant center quickly. It's not, a, it's not yeah. quick. I feel like, I mean, people are always you know, saying, you know, how do I figure out my number? And it was, which is honestly the reason we started the podcast was like, I'm just going to, we're just going to do each number. We're going to do all nine numbers. And we didn't think we'd keep going, but that that's way, all we can I just, thought we were going to do. That's, that's I like, still am like, I thought we were just doing nine numbers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it's doing. great. But you it's say so it the afterwards, you feel know, good every I time. I feel good afterwards. So, so, um, so that was, that was kind of the reason it started. And, and there's part of me that feels, 
you know, sort of lame saying that because it sounds like, oh, you know, you have to listen to my podcast. You can't just go, like, go take a test online. It sounds like I'm just, like, saying that to be self-serving. But, like, this week I took a test. A friend had me take a, a subtype test. I want you to know every multiple choice. I knew exactly that if I answer this, it's self-preserving. If I answer this, it's yep. sexual. If I answer... And so my brain is involved with how I'm going to answer it, even if I'm trying to just be quick and visceral. And that is a problem. So, I mean, I just experienced, like, why that test doesn't work. It just doesn't... It, it, and it doesn't work. work because your Enneagram number is not determined by your behavior. It's determined by your motivation for your behavior. And people don't know what your motivation is, and sometimes you don't know either. Right. If you can talk a little bit about what I thought was a lot of underlying great teaching around what you shared, Lee, about Nathaniel and him doing something and y'all talking about uh, kind of feeling embarrassment around that and how much stance teaching I heard and all that and you to clarify that that is what I heard because when you're talking about it, the first thing that I remembered was I, I get in trouble sometimes because I'm like, I heard this, I heard Suzanne say this at a workshop. And someone's like, actually, that was so-and-so. I'm like, all right, I don't know, man. <laughs> but uh, how doing for four, five, and nines, doing is what gives you confidence. Like, yeah. I did, that's me. Okay. I did right. say that. Okay, so, all right. It yeah. wasn't Gandhi. It's it was the Suzanne. only way you get it's it. It's true. I mean, we laugh all the time that we are even doing the, Yeah, this. the fact that we're even doing a podcast. And every, if I, you know, every time we have we do a number night, we have a guest like come and say how we need to hire someone who's in the aggressive stance, (laughs) (laughs) which is probably true. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. But yeah, I think do, I think that is stance work and we've, we've started talking about subtypes and I think for the two of us more than at, at least what we know of ourselves and like our growing edge in our relationship has been that she, her sexual energy, I'm so self-preserving and maybe more so since the pandemic, right? I'm probably into that, but we, we both know that doing balances us. So I, I don't know a lot and I don't pretend to know a lot about subtypes or how to get that balance, but I know that I feel really, um, lacking in sexual energy in that space, right? And that kind of, and that when I do, there's a little bit of that there, you know, that I'm moving towards something or I'm listening to my kind of deeper gut instinct that it doesn't filter through my head or I don't boundary it out right away or at least I'm open to hearing <laughs> what, I, what it is that I want or what I desire. And if I can act on that, then I'm automatically more balanced. Am I going to be awkward and embarrassed? Yes. But I also know that my work, partly because of the language of the Enneagram, is that's where I'm going to be alive. And that I have made the decision in a knee-jerk way to protect myself that peace is the ultimate, when it's just not. My idea of peace is not, it's not it. And it's not a big good life. It has some, some good things, and I have some good gifts from that. But if that's all I'm after, I'm missing out on so much. So if I don't have that edge of doing or of awkward or am not a little embarrassed some, then I'm, I'm not doing my work. Like, I'm not doing it. 
that's another thing that I haven't, I don't think I've ever heard before because I know you talk about it's hard for each stance to bring up their president because it's not the water you swim in. And so it's easy for me to articulate for myself at least. And I think it's easy for other people to see with feeling the awkwardness that three sevens and eights when feeling in, in front of other people, it's a, it can be a real S show of what it looks like. Yeah. And so when you were talking, I've never heard a four, five or nine talk about like being embarrassed, being embarrassed and awkward about doing though. So I loved hearing that just at, on a selfish level. Yeah. Just kinda, Suzanne, do you think that's for everybody? Well, that like bringing up your stance that we all feel that way, right? Sure, sure. And, and so it would be awkward feeling, awkward thinking, awkward doing. But it's also the purest part of you when you do it. So one of the things that I uh, talked about in the new book that I, hadn't, I wasn't teaching a lot about when you guys were apprentices is over the years I figured out that you can't, you can't bring up your repressed center unless you've figured out how to manage your dominant center. And so it's, it's counterintuitive to work over here uh, for me to try to bring up thinking if I haven't managed my feelings first. It, it's like it's a kind of a step process that has to happen. And I think that there is a, there is a beauty in the awkwardness and you talked about it perfectly when you talked about Nathaniel. And it, it was awkward and embarrassing, and I loved it. And it's, it's because it's pure and awkward. And anything we do the first time, anything that comes out of purity is awkward. If it's not awkward, then the purity is waning. So I've got a, I, I'd like y'all's help on this. So to plug the Journey Toward Wholeness study guide for people who want to check that out. One of the, I want to say it's session six, no, five. Different anagram numbers told stories about their repressed center. And friend of the podcast, Anna LTMs, uh, Courtney Perry is the one that talked about being a seven. And she said that she uh, like hit her head while she was in the house doing something. And she kind of started to cry, but kind of backed off of it and then thought for a second, like, when was the last time I had a really good cry? And she said she went upstairs to her room and just cried about a lot of, you know, hitting her head, then a lot of things. And I was like, all right, so our group's going through it. I was like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to embrace this. I, you know what? If Courtney, if Courtney can do it, then I can do it. So then the other day, watching... Again, this is ridiculous. It is embarrassing. Watching the movie Coco with my kids and my father-in-law. Has anyone seen that? And oh my gosh. Yeah, and I was like, felt some tears coming on. I was like, this is it. I was like, I'm so excited for it. But then I looked over and there's my father-in-law sitting there. I was like, I can't get up and go to my room and do this though. That'll be weird. And then that's, so I didn't, I missed the chance. This is my big chance to have yeah. a big cry. You so, know, like. But, I, mean, I feel like my, my mom's a seven, and I feel like she likes to go to sad movies because she can cry safely and it doesn't cost her anything. Like by herself at the movie? She, it's almost like she gets off on it. She wants to go to really sad movies and just be so sad and cry so hard. And, and then it's like she got to have feelings and cry, but it's not even about her. It's like it has no effect on her at all. It has no 
effect. Oh man. Not to spoil you the party, but I, I mean, oh. I just think, I think sevens are awesome at making it look like they're feeling things. I'm not. I don't have that gift, so no, I don't know. So I don't, I don't think you get to... Coco's not your hall pass. Dude, I, I was so... I was just like, ooh, I'm going to start... If I start crying about Coco, then I can maybe kind of... sit um, with it for like maybe two hours. Like it's a nice something. gateway cry of uh, getting some other things going. I think that's so cool that you talked about being embarrassed about doing. And I also think it's unfair because it's like people were wanting you to do and how hard is it to... I'm not a four, five, or nine, so I'm like, cool, good for the doing, and I feel like crying in public doesn't fall in line with reading your notes. Well, I think kind of what Elizabeth is talking about, like, I I can do, I do, I'm a doer, but it's the doing that's connected to that instinctual part of me, the part that I boundary, that I put aside, that I'm scared is going to disconnect me from others. You know, it's that part that I've stopped listening to, which there is, there's an on-ramp, right? There is kind of a... That's what I'm saying. It sounds like you're describing your the crying about cocoa, moving. But yeah. then the real awkward part is when I'm, when I'm not doing in the zones that I'm used to doing, right? That I'm, that I'm doing something that's more connected to my desires or instinct or really listening to deep, deep down. So... Again, I can I can fool myself, and I think especially as a nine, that gets very confusing because it's hard it's hard for us to hear that in ourselves or to be open to it, and we do a lot. I mean, you do a ton. We, I'm all a, all doing repressed numbers do a do ton so of things. Much. So it's, it's not, hard. I to, think a lot. Yeah, and so I think if I feel a little embarrassed or awkward, I'm I'm probably in the right space, <laughs> you know. I like that. I just think you have to listen to your repressed center when it's telling you a story over and over, whatever the story is. Like, you know that you've got all these little kids and uh, you're married to a one who has very strong feelings and you get to work with me. And you're just surrounded by a lot of feelings. And in order to keep those relationships lined up right... You have to bring up feeling. And there are things you have to do personally to do that. I'm going to talk about bringing up thinking for a minute. Our mentor and friend Richard Rohr just turned 79 in March. 79 in March. So his way of talking about it is he's living in his 80th year. And uh, we've been in relationship with him for 30 years. And he's not teaching publicly now. And... So every time we see him, I've tried to use a lot of pure thinking to know what I want to make sure I get handled after years of vulnerability and, you know, good times and hard times and all of it. I'm I'm pretty pushy with people I love, and he taught tolerates my pushiness fairly well. But one time he told me I was pushy. He said, you know, you are really pushy. So heading, we were just with him, uh, I don't know, three weeks ago or heading into that visit, I had thought through, is there something I want to clean up? We're probably going to have four hours. Like 
if there's a thing I still need to clean up, I want to think it through and do it right. And I got my chance. He has a big gash in his head right here. And what I was hoping in my thinking, so this is where feeling works on thinking. So don't ever think that you're like in the purity of one center and it's your repressed center because that's never going to happen to you. Perhaps in Nirvana or wherever, but it's not going to happen. So in the purity of my thinking, I was going to bring it up and he was going to not say anything in response to me being pushy, right? He was going to see what I'd done as loving. So I was working with his staff, and I had a big, important meeting with he and his executive director, and I was kind of the moderator of big changes. It was a big deal. And I walk into his hermitage, and he's sitting in a chair, and he has a white wash rag on his head, and blood is just running down his arm. And like there's blood everywhere. And I said, what happened? He said, oh, I hit my head. Can you go over there and look? I think there's some Band-Aids. And I said, a a Band-Aid's not going to handle that. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to get a dry rag. You're going to put it on your head and hold it. I'm going to take that rag and wash it out because we're going to need it. You're going to go get in my car, and we're going to the emergency room. He said, I'm not going anywhere. We have a meeting, and I just need a Band-Aid. And I said, we're going to the emergency room. Well, he had to have 12 staples. So his scars showing right here, and he's across the table from me and I. I said, do you, do, when you rub your head now and you rub that scar, do you remember telling me that I was really pushy, thinking I'm going to get this all the way I want it to be, right? That's how I thought it through with my feelings. And um, he said, oh, the day that... that remind me and I said the day that I walked in and there was blood everywhere and you thought you needed a band-aid and you needed 12 staples oh yeah that day and I thought here it comes he's going to thank me for taking (laughs) he said you know you really were extra pushy that day (laughs) and my feelings were hurt all over again it's right and I can think it through now but it's like This whole thing of bringing up your repressed center, always you're bringing your feelings, I mean your friend along of your dominant center. Always, always, always. And when I say that what you bring up is the purest part of you, that doesn't mean it's hanging out there by itself. So pure doing, rare. Pure feeling, it's going to be rare. I think it's great that you were crying at Coco. And I also think it's probably good that you didn't go to your room and just sob and wail. (laughs) I was getting ready to. You've got to really be committed to wanting to be balanced in all three centers or you won't do it. Because your dominant center is a little disappointed every time. I'm going to ask a question from online and we've got about 20 minutes left. Uh, This is from Catherine. Um, as a six, I struggle to forgive and forget. To be honest, I'm not sure why anyone would forget. How do you stay safe that way? However, I would like to get better at it. What do you suggest? That's, that's for the three Anagram podcasters. Uh, I hope that I have never uh, suggested forgive and forget. I don't think you have to forget. I don't even think it's, I don't know if I think that's possible. I think forgiveness is essential. And when I talk about sixes and forgetting connected to forgiving, is that there are many sixes who 
keep reminders so that they won't forget. That's not part of forgiveness. Also, don't you think it, it warps the planning? So, like, whatever your dominant stance is warps everything else. So, yes. they're going to be actually less safe because the prep work or what they're doing to be safe is coming out of a lack of forgiveness. So, like, even if, if that helps for, you know, selfish reasons or whatever, like, you're preparing in the wrong way if you're preparing for, out of that space in your heart. So what happens is that sixes are thinking dominant. And so because they're thinking dominant, they think they can protect themselves through the process of forgiveness by remembering and by keeping tokens around that help you remember. And all of that means that forgiveness isn't happening. Also, like, I mean, I know that, like, manifestation is also trendy, and that can go off the rails, too. But, I mean, I do think there is something to be said for, like, what you're steeping yourself in is what you get. Like, what you focus on in life is what you receive. And I think if you're preparing to be safe, and yet you're not forgiven and free, as Suzanne would say, then that, you know, you're just, you're kind of contributing greatly to your own safety. Well, and I just don't think you have to forget. I think that, I think it's, uh, respectfully, so I don't know the story behind that, but I think it's an uh, end around to avoid forgiveness by saying you can't forget. And my response is you don't have to forget. But forgiveness is essential for you to be okay. It's not about the other person. Thank you so much for having us. I really, I love you and thank you for teaching us all that you've taught us. It's been absolutely life-changing for my whole family. Me too. (laughs) Me too. Love you. Well, think how uh, proud I am of the two of you and Austin Enneagram. I think the reason I'm proud of you is because... You got a lot in the three years from one another in the class and from me, and you're giving a lot. And I think the way we move in the world uh, most appropriately is um, I have a, a plaque hanging on the wall in my office that says, if you learn, teach. And y'all are teaching, and I'm proud of you, and I love you, and I... With all honesty, I learned as much from you as you learned from me. It was just a different kind of learning. And you're pretty great too, Joel Stabile. Mm -hmm. And don't edit that out. Okay. Thank you all for coming, and you all are pretty great. Yes. Okay. Fantastic. And uh, that was a good night.